Section 26 of the Underground Railroad, Part 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part 3, by William Still. Section 26. Arrival from Maryland. Harry Wise. One hundred dollar reward. Ran away on the eleventh inst. Negro man, Harry Wise. He is about twenty-four years of age, and five feet four inches high, muscular, with broad shoulders, and black or deep copper color, roundish, smooth face, and rather lively expression. He came from Harford County, and is acquainted about Bel Air Market, Baltimore. I will pay fifty dollars reward for him if taken in this or Prince George's County, or one hundred dollars if arrested elsewhere. Elliot Burwell, A-29-E-O-3-T, West River, and Arundel County. Harry reached the station in Philadelphia the latter part of August, 1857. His excuse for leaving and seeking a habitation in Canada was as follows. I was treated monstrous bad, my master was a very cross, crabbed man, and his wife was as cross as he was. The day I left they had to tie me to beat me, what about I could not tell. This is what made me leave. I escaped right out of his hands the day he had me. He was going with me to the barn to tie me across a hogshead, but I broke loose from him and ran. He ran and got the gun to shoot me, but I soon got out of his reach, and I have not seen him since. Harry might never have found the Underground Railroad but for this deadly onslaught upon him by his master. His mind was wrought up to a very high state of earnestness, and he was deemed a very fitting subject for Canada. ARRIVAL FROM NORFOLK, VIRGINIA ABRAM WOODERS Although slaveholders had spared no pains to keep Abram in the dark, and to make him love his yoke, he proved by his actions that he had no faith in their doctrines. Nor did he want for language in which to state the reasons for his actions. He was just in the prime of life, thirty-five years of age, chestnut color, common size, with a scar over the left eye and another on the upper lip. Like many others, he talked in a simple, earnest manner, and in answer to queries as to how he had fared, the following is his statement. I was held as the property of the late Taylor Sewell, but when I escaped I was in the service of W. C. Williams, a commission merchant. My old master was a very severe man, but he was always very kind to me. He had a great many more colored folks, was very severe amongst them, would get mad and sell right away. He was a drinking man, dissipated and a gambler, a real sportsman. He lived on Newell Creek, about twelve miles from Norfolk. For the last eight years I was hired to W. C. Williams for a hundred and fifty dollars a year. If I had all that money it might do me some good. I left because I wanted to enjoy myself some. I felt if I stayed and got old no one would care for me. I wouldn't be of no account to nobody. But are not the old slaves well cared for by their masters, a member of the committee here remarked. Take care of them, no, Abram replied with much earnestness and then went on to explain how such property was left to perish. 
said Abram, there was an old man named Ike, who belonged to the same estate that I did. He was treated like a dog after they could get no more work out of him. They said, let him die, he is of no service. There is no use of getting a doctor for him. Accordingly there could be no other fate for the old man but to suffer and die with creepers in his legs. It was sickening to hear him narrate instances of similar suffering in the case of old slaves. Abram left two sisters and one brother in bondage. Arrival from Washington, D.C. George Johnson, Thomas, and Adam Smith. $300 reward. Ran away from Calorama, near Washington City, D.C., on Saturday night, the 22nd of August, 1857. Negro man, George Johnson, aged about 25 years. Height about 6 feet of dark copper color, bushy hair, erect in stature, and polite in his address. I will give the above reward if taken in a free state, one hundred dollars if taken within the District of Columbia, or two hundred dollars if taken in Maryland. In either case he must be secured so that I get him. Miss Eleanor J. Conway, Baltimore, Maryland, or Oliver Dufour, Washington City, D.C., S.L.E.O.D.2.W. Polite in his address, as George was, he left his mistress, Eleanor J. Conway, without bidding her good-bye or asking for a pass. But he did not leave his young mistress in this way without good reasons for so doing. In his interview with the committee, about five days after his departure from his old home, he stated his grievances as follows. I was born the slave of a Mr. Conway in Washington, D.C. Under this personage, George admitted that he had experienced slavery in rather a mild form, until death took the old man off, which event occurred when George was quite young. He afterwards served the widow Conway until her death, and lastly he fell into the hands of Miss Eleanor J. Conway, who resided in Baltimore, and derived her support from the labor of slaves whom she kept hired out, as was George. Of the dead, George did not utter very hard things, but he spoke of his young mistress as having a very mean principle. Said George, She has sold one of my brothers and one of my cousins since last April, and she was very much opposed to freedom. Judging from the company that she kept, she might before a great while change her relations in life, George thought, however agreeable to her, it might not be to him. So he made up his mind that his chances for freedom would not be likely to grow any better by remaining. In the neighborhood from which he fled, he left his father, mother, and two sisters, each having different owners. Two brothers had been sold south. Whether they ever heard what had become of the runaway George is not known. Thomas, the companion of George, was of a truly remarkable structure. Physically and mentally he belonged to the highest order of the bond class. His place of chains was in the city of Washington, and the name of the man for whom he had been compelled to do unrequited labor was William Rowe, a bricklayer, and a pretty clever fellow, always used me well, said Thomas. Why did you leave, then? asked a member of the committee. He replied, I made a proposition to my master to buy myself for eight hundred dollars, but he refused and wanted a thousand. Then I made up my mind that I would make less do. 
Thomas had been hired out at the National Hotel for $30 a month. Adam was well described in the following advertisement taken from the Baltimore Sun. $300 reward. Ran away from the subscriber near Beltsville, Prince George's County, Maryland, on Saturday night, the 22nd of August, 1857. Negro man, Adam Smith, aged about 30, height 5 feet 4 or 5 inches, black bushy hair, and well-dressed. He has a mother living at Mr. Hamilton's on Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C. I will give the above reward if taken in a free state, $50 if taken in the District of Columbia or counties of Montgomery and St. George's, or $100 if taken elsewhere and secured so that I get him. Isaac Skaggs, A. 276T. With his fellow passengers, George and Thomas, he greatly enjoyed the hospitalities of the Underground Railroad in the city of Brotherly Love, and had a very high idea of Canada, as he anticipated becoming a British subject at an early day. The story which Adam related concerning his master and his reasons for escaping ran thus. My master was a very easy man, but would work you hard, and never allow you any chance night or day. He was a farmer, about fifty, stout, full face, a real country ruffian, member of no church, a great drinker and gambler, would sell a slave as quick as any other slaveholder. He had a great deal of cash, but did not rank high in society. His wife was very severe, hated a colored man to have any comfort in the world. They had eight adult and nine young slaves. Adam left because he didn't like the treatment. Twice he had been placed on the auction block. He was a married man and left a wife and one child. Four able-bodied articles in one arrival, 1857. Edward and Joseph Haynes, Thomas Harris, and James Sheldon. This certainly is a likely-looking party, are the first words which greet the eye on turning to the record, under which their brief narratives were entered at the Philadelphia station, September 7, 1857. Edward was about fifty-four years of age, of unmixed blood, and in point of natural ability he would rank among the most intelligent of the oppressed class. Without owing thanks to anybody, he could read and write pretty well, having learned by his own exertions. Tabby and Eliza Fortlock, sisters and single women, had been deriving years of leisure, comfort, and money from the sweat of Edward's brow. The maiden ladies owned about eighteen head of this kind of property, far more than they understood how to treat justly or civilly. They bore the name of being very hard to satisfy. They were proverbially stingy. They were members of the Christ Episcopal Church. Edward, however, remembered very sensibly that his own brother had been sold south by these ladies, and not only he, but others also, had been sent to the auction block, and there made merchandise of. Edward, therefore, had no faith in these lambs of the flock, and left them because he thought there was reason in all things. Yearly my task had been increased and made heavier and heavier, until I was pressed beyond what I could bear. Under this pressure, no hope, present or future, could be discerned, except by escaping on the Underground Railroad. Joseph was also one of the chattels belonging to the Mrs. Portlock. 
a more active and wide-awake young man of twenty years of age could not easily be found among the enslaved he seemed to comprehend slavery in all its bearings from a small boy he had been hired out making money for the pious ladies who owned him his experience under these protectors had been similar to that of edward given above joseph was of a light brown color some of his friends may be able to decide by this simple fact whether he is a relative etc tom a full-faced good-natured looking young man was also of this party he was about twenty-seven years of age and was said to be the slave of john hatton esq cashier of the virginia bank of portsmouth tom admitted that he was treated very well by mr hatton and his family except that he was not allowed his freedom besides he felt a little tired of having to pay twelve dollars a month for his hire as he hired his time of his master of course he was not insensible to the fact also that he was liable to be sold any day in pondering over these slight drawbacks tom concluded that slavery was no place for a man who valued his freedom it mattered not how kind masters and mistresses might be under these considerations he made up his mind that he would have to let the cashier look out for himself and he would do the same in this state of mind he joined the party for canada james was another associate passenger and the best-looking article in the party few slaves showed a greater degree of intelligence and shrewdness he had acquired the art of reading and writing very well and was also a very ready talker he was owned by mrs maria hansford of new york when he was quite small he remembered seeing his mistress but not since he was raised with her sister who resided in norfolk the place of james's servitude james confessed that he had been treated very kindly and had been taught to read by members of the family this was an exceptional case worthy of a special note notwithstanding all the kindness that james had received he hated slavery and took a deep interest in the underground railroad and used his intelligence and shrewdness to good purpose in acting as an underground railroad agent for a time james was a young man about twenty-five years of age well made and of a yellow complexion although none of this party experienced brutal treatment personally they had seen the elephant quite to their satisfaction in norfolk and vicinity end of section twenty six